five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Unforgettable. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, depending on what time of the day you are listening to this podcast. I just thank you for doing so. This is Sports and More, Episode 7. Happy Canada Day. It is July 1st, 2019, and that's going to be a big theme of the show today, celebrating all things Canadiana. Uh, We're going to speak with Krista Monson, who is a conceptor, a creative director, a stage director, a writer, has uh, over 13 years' experience with Cirque du Soleil and uh, producing international shows. She's from St. Albert, so we're going to chat with her about her journey. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, like a lot of people, a lot of hard work and struggles to get to a really successful point where you can look back and enjoy it. So a good Canadian story a good Canadian having a nice impact on the international stage. Speaking of good Canadians, Jamie Thomas qualifies. Uh, He was raised out West, lives in Winnipeg now, works for the Jets. Like, how much more Canadian can you get than working for the Winnipeg Jets? He's going to drop by a little bit later for fantasy fun time. Him and I went head-to-head in fantasy baseball this week. We also made a trade in fantasy football. We're going to talk about hockey categories you don't like and and one that you would like to add if you're in a league you can hit us up on twitter at duck millard or at jamie thomas tv you can also get us on instagram sports and more podcast you can email us sports and more pod at gmail.com and check out the website sports and more.ca so we're going to celebrate canada day today in a number of different ways throughout this show. It is also NHL Free Agency Day. Uh, I'm recording this actually uh, very early in the morning on uh, July 1st, so not going to have a lot of breaking news going on in this podcast. Of course, there's very other various other places you can get that, but it sounds like Mike Smith will become an Edmonton Oiler and Cam Talbot will become a Calgary Flame. They just basically swap positions from where they were Last year, this is a deal for Mike Smith. It's like a $2 million deal, I think, base salary with incentives for one year. You have Miko Koskinen on that ridiculous four-year, $3.5 million per year deal. Mike Smith could play more games than uh, Miko Koskinen this year. And I think the uh, new Oiler regime is saying to Miko Koskinen, we did not sign your deal. You have to prove that you're worth it, uh, or else we're just going to keep bringing in guys. And they bring in Mike Smith to hopefully push Miko Koskinen. I would not be shocked if Mike Smith played more games than Miko Koskinen next year in an Oiler uniform. But we'll see. Uh, they have some competition. And Mike Smith struggled at times last year, but was really good at times for the Calgary Flames. He is old. It's a one-year deal. Not the worst thing that the Oilers can do, and they really don't have a lot of options 
right now. Uh, speaking of hockey, if you want to see some fun quality hockey, check out the Brick Tournament. It starts today, West Edmonton Mall. It actually already started. It started at 7.30 on uh, Monday, and it goes until Sunday where the final, and it is awesome. And if you can't make it down, there is a play-by-play off the Brick website, and I'm uh, part of the play-by-play crew, so it's fun. This tournament has had so many NHLers pass through it, and it's just cool uh, to see the how pumped up they get. It's a very professional-run tournament uh, for youngsters. So that starts at West Edmonton Mall, runs until Sunday, and, of course, later today, the Canada Day game for the Edmonton Prospects and the post-game fireworks that the city puts on, and you have the best seat in the house at Remax Field. So you can check out the Prospects Baseball Show with Jordan Blundell and myself. Uh, download that on iTunes if you're interested in uh, good baseball talk. So a lot of that going on in Edmonton this week. Uh, by the way, the Prospects have the All-Star Game for the Western Canadian Baseball League next Sunday. Matt Stairs will be in attendance on the weekend. There's also a home run derby. Maybe he'll take part. Uh, of course, if you listen to the Prospects Baseball Show, you know Matt Stairs is the all-time pinch-hit home run leader in Major League Baseball history. So, busy, fun week coming up in Edmonton. Hmm, what's on my mind today? <laughs> I don't know. You want answers? I don't know what the hell he wants. Let's get into things. Let's get real. This is the Myron French question of the day. I'll read you loud and clear. 10 4. So, on this Canada Day version of the Sports and More podcast, the Myron French question of the day is what makes Canada unique? And the Myron French question of the day, of course, comes up because he was my high school law teacher, and he started every class with the question of the day, and sometimes it would last the entire class. It was awesome, and uh, did not learn a lot about the law in that class, but I did learn a lot about life. So thank you, Mr. French. So our our question is, what makes Canada unique? And I threw this out on uh, social media and just jotted down some thoughts. Obviously, we're polite. That's, uh, you know, unique because some countries, people are not that polite. John Candy. We do John Candy characters. We've got a great one uh, later on today in this show. He is a unique, or was unfortunately unique, and his legacy lives on. Hockey, of course. Wayne Gretzky, Steve Nash, Larry Walker, Ferguson Jenkins, Donovan Bailey, Brooke Henderson. There's a lot of great athletes uh, from Canada on the international stage. Terry Fox is something that makes us uh, makes Canada unique because what he did was so incredibly amazing. If you for some reason, don't know who Terry Fox is, please do some Googling and research on that. Uh, Roberta Bondar, Chris Hadfield, some astronauts from Canada that were in space. Alexander Graham Bell, Samantha B. Of course, two different people, or two very different people. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell, inventor of the telephone, and Samantha B. The Full Frontal with Samantha B. Great TV show, but uh, they have impacts. Um, speaking of TV, Peter Mansbridge, Ron McLean. Uh, Don Cherry up until about 10, 15 years ago. Not a big fan of Don Cherry these days. And then the the things that we invented, Frederick Banting, uh, the co-discoverer of insulin, Tommy Douglas, the father of Medicare, uh, Dr. Penfield. Do you remember those vignettes growing up here in Canada where it's, I smell burnt toast, Dr. Penfield? And, you know, he, he was a neurosurgeon that discovered the electrical stimulation of the brain. 
and he was Canadian. So there is a lot of great things that we should celebrate and that are unique, that make Canada unique. Uh, Lieutenant General Romeo Dallaire, if, if you've never uh, seen Shaking Hands with the Devil or, or read that, it's just an incredible book. Um, he was a UN peacekeeping, or he is a, was a UN peacekeeping general when he was active. It's, uh, you know, it was right in the center of the Rwanda genocide, and he saved a lot of people's lives during that time. Uh, then you have performers, Darcy Oak, the magician, of course, Neil Young, one of my favorites, the tragically hip, Justin Bieber, Celine Dion, actors, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Mike Myers, Phil Hartman, Jim Carrey, Leslie Nielsen. We're going to get into uh, favorite actors a little bit later in our uh, top three. So the Took, that's Canadian. That's unique to Canada. Five pin bowling, ketchup chips, healthcare, the, the amount of space that there is in our country to travel around it uh, so there is some awesome stuff the legalization of cannabis the the uh, first country to really legalize yeah i know uruguay did it kind of but it's uh, not even close to what we're lucky enough to have here sctv corner gas kids in the hall degrassi um uh, maybe biased here but the brand of wheat kings uh, so there was so many great things mr dress up as a kid uh, north of 60 the ogopogo uh, the okamoka was the uh, local Supposed ghost in uh, Brandon by the old jail. Tommy Chong, Kim Coates from Sons of Anarchy. Of course, Seth Rogen, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling, Michael J. Fox. Um, the list goes on and on of important Canadians. Uh, Dr. James Naismith invented basketball. The Raptors just won the NBA championship. Comes full circle. Norman Brakey invented the paint roller in 1940. A Canadian invented a paint roller. It is so cool what we have done. Uh, Harry Waslick and Larry Hansen invented the garbage bag in 1950 in Winnipeg. Cheers to those guys because uh, it's cleaned up a lot of messes. Marcellus Gilmore Edson invented peanut butter in 1884. Jacques Plante, of course, great goalie, invented the goalie mask. Uh, Arthur Saccard, the snowblower in 1927. Uh, you look at tabletop hockey, instant replay, and Trivial Pursuit, all uniquely Canadian. Three. One, and lift off. Let's go! Time for your top three. Lift off and the clock has started. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Beautiful, beautiful. So we continue on with this extremely Canadian edition of Sports and More. You can get me on Twitter at Duck Millard. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. It's a lot of fun. Um, if you're uh, near a phone or you're listening on your phone, not if you're driving, uh, shoot me a uh, tweet, at Duck Millard, and tell me where in the world you are listening, especially if you're listening in Canada, and what you're doing on this uh, Canada Day. What are your plans for this Canada Day holiday? Uh, we're going to have a lot more Canada Day stuff to chat about on this show, including our top three. And the uh, topic today is your top three Canadian actors. Your favorite, not the best, but your favorite. And there's been a lot of uh, great ones. Uh, Low Tide, my good friend from my old radio days, says John Vernon, which was Dean Wormer from Animal House. Zero point zero. That is an all-time favorite clip. Uh, absolutely uh, beautiful. He also says John Candy, one of my favorites, Phil Hartman, Martin Short. Um, Sandra O oh from, uh, Lynn Mercero, uh, Josh Jackson and Christopher Plummer. Uh, hopefully I got that right, Lynn. And, uh, those are great, uh, 
choices as well. John Candy, that is all from Tim Monteith. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, Josh Jackson getting a vote. Uh, Donald Sutherland, Jim Carrey, and honorable mention to Keanu Reeves and the late great Peter Zezel for Young Blood Alone. Uh, Keanu's French Canadian accent was um, memorable. Yeah, we love uh, the movie Young Blood around here. Uh, this is a tweet from Rick, and he's just replying with the picture of Zit Remedy from Degrassi Junior High. So. That's pretty awesome. Raymond says, Rachel McAdams, Evangeline Lilly, and Ellen Page. Love Ellen Page for sure. Uh, Michael, that's a tough choice. There are so many good ones off the top of my head in no order. Nathan Fillion, Ryan Reynolds, and Keanu Reeves. Kiefer Sutherland getting a vote. Seth Rogen, and of course, Donald Sutherland. And uh, Doug says, uh, Keanu Reeves liked him long before it was trendy. Bruce Willis and Will Smith. And obviously did not get the memo that we are talking Canadians in that sense. So here's my top three Canadian actors. My honorable mention goes to my good friend, Olivia Chang, who was a guest on the very first episode of this podcast, Sports and More. If you want to go check it out, she was a guest along with Vegas Golden Knights GM, Kelly McCrimmon. I worked with Olivia in our television days, uh, first at RDTV, where she was um, I think doing an internship and then again at Global Television in Edmonton. And she is a wonderful actor. She's currently in the sh- series Warrior and it is awesome. It's on Cinemax. You can get it if you have Crave uh, with the HBO package. She was also in Marco Polo in the, uh, the series Arrow and uh, the show Broken Trail, which is awesome. So Olivia Chang is my honorable mention and someday she will be uh, I think uh, considered one of the great Canadian actors. Uh, she's awesome, awesome, doing an awesome job right now and well on her way. Uh, these are some legendary names, and I'm going number three with Phil Hartman, uh, the late Phil Hartman, unfortunately. But from his Saturday Night Live days of like Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, one of the funniest skits of all time. And uh, I think he did a good Shatner, who is also Canadian. Uh, so Phil Hartman. Then he went on to news radio and, of course, The Simpsons. So Phil Hartman gets my number three. Number two, I'm going with Michael J. Fox. Uh, Obviously, I loved him on uh, Family Ties. And then he moved on to some big movies and, uh, you know, got back into uh, sitcoms again. And, you know, unfortunately, he's had health problems and stuff. But uh, this is a great Canadian actor who um, I think did some really great things and is doing some great things uh, research-wise as well. And no, no question what my number one is, John Candy. I'll have a great John Candy character later on in the show. I love him from SCTV. Uh, you know, and I've been watching a lot of John Candy movies since I started this show as quote-unquote research. Haven't found a bad one yet. Wagons East wasn't a great movie, but there were still some uh, pretty funny parts in it that I enjoyed. So Phil Hartman, Michael J. Fox, and John Candy, my three favorite Canadian actors with Olivia Chang from Warrior as my honorable mention. All right, let's get to our first guest. But before we do, let's hear about her in the bio.
time for the bio. Krista Monson moved to St. Albert in 1972 and attended Paul Kane High School. She started dancing at the age of four and competed until she was 18 when she turned to choreography and producing. She worked in Edmonton and across Canada before making the leap with her husband and moved to Los Angeles in 2001. A few hardworking years later, Krista was offered the position of artistic director for the Cirque du Soleil show O at the Bellagio in Las Vegas. During her 13-year run with Cirque du Soleil, she wrote, directed, and was named casting director. She recently wrote and directed the critically acclaimed production Vivid on the world's biggest stage in Berlin. Monson is the first woman in the theater's 100-year history to serve as writer and director. She lives in Las Vegas with her husband Paul and their two sons Jaden and Zane. Really excited to chat with Krista Monson now. And Krista, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. And uh, I guess I should thank uh, the booking agent that brought us together, my wife, uh, Trish Fideko-Millard, who I believe you guys went to high school together. That's right. We went to Paul Kane High School. Well, first of all, it's a huge pleasure to, to talk with you, Dean, and happy Canada Day to to our friends and family in, in Canada. It's a, it's a huge privilege. But yeah, uh, Trish and I went to, to school in St. Albert at Paul Kane High School in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your your childhood growing up. Um, I, I, I love St. Albert now. It's much different from uh, what when Trish tells me it was like when she moved there in, in high school. But what was growing up in St. Albert like for you? Honestly, it, it was, I would almost say it was a, a perfect place to to grow up and be a kid and try different things. I lived in, in we moved there in 1972, so it was even though St. Albert itself is, is, I think it's one of the oldest cities and or establishments in Alberta, but it was, uh, you know, really a seedling and it was growing fast. And so, you know, we'd walk in, in fields where the horses were back then and, and, uh, I lived in Lacombe Park, and so we would walk around, and we we played outside every night, played kick the can until the the street lights <laughs> came on, and got bored and created clubs and and uh, walked to school and and really had some great friends and great time and good great opportunities too to. Um, create lifelong friendships that I still have today. That's wonderful. Uh, we're going to get to some of the stuff that you've worked on as far as uh, with your time with Cirque du Soleil and, and the production Vivid uh, mm-hmm. that you most recently. But mm-hmm. uh, before we get to where you are now, how did you get there? What was the uh, impetus that started you on this career path of this uh, you know international career that you've enjoyed? You know, I'm not... Exactly. You know, it's hard to pinpoint it, why or when, but I would say probably, I mean, I was, I was a dancer. I started in St. Albert when I was four years old and trained and competed until I was uh, 18, I guess. And I had a dream back then of being a dancer or, or being, or opening a dancing school with my two friends from, from dancing. And, and so I think that that was a big part of it. And I think the other part, as I look back, it was probably I have a, a healthy and maybe sometimes unhealthy uh, need for challenge. And so I kind of every plan I started, I, I dove into, which I enjoyed. Um, it, it seemed like I was ready to go on and, and grow. And, and I was really curious about just curious about the next step. I was always curious about the next step and I still am. So I, I did, I did well in school. I didn't, you know, love it, but I, I was also 
uh, I came really entranced with the French language uh, back then. So to me, it was it was dance and you know the curiosity to the French language and how people talk and how pe- different people talk and what it sounds like and how it links with how different people think. So as I got into dance more, I discovered you know each each step kind of opened up new worlds for me, I, I guess. And, and as I was dancing, I discovered that it wasn't just, you know, just dance and, and also because I, I was a good dancer, but I would probably say I wasn't a great dancer or I wouldn't have been a great dancer if I really stuck with it longer. And so I discovered interdisciplinary work. So dance in combination with storytelling, in combination with athletics, in combination with singing, in combination with acting. So that led me to musical theater and that was a whole new world too about with actors and dancers and, and again, storytelling and concepts and, and reaching audiences in a different way, always, you know, in front of the public. And that led to work with, I was a choreographer for the IAAF um, championships in athletics, which was in Edmonton in 2001. Mm -hmm. And so that was, yeah, it, it again planted that or brought me, I mean, it was scary, you know, to all of a sudden be working with trampolinists. And I'm thinking, you know, each new step, I thought I, I knew I did not know what I was doing, to be honest. And so it was, you know, baby steps and kind of launching myself into these different worlds and uh, worked in Edmonton for seven years, uh, about seven years as a professional, loved it. I absolutely, you know, gained a lot of knowledge, a lot of critical, uh, first or second or third stinging negative review, you know, that you have to take and absorb and, and learn from. And, and, uh, and so after uh, about, as a professional, seven to ten years in, in, in Edmonton, um, and I'd worked all over, you know, the, the country as a choreographer. I got into, you know, that the idea of design and the be, the idea of being on the other side of the stage. Um, I really felt uh, kind of in my skin. I thought this this I can do, uh, I, or I can learn from, and and I can go to the next step. And so it was just. So I worked in Edmonton for a while and and learned a lot. And um, at one point, I. You know, my husband. I was. I got married in Edmonton. We had our first child in Edmonton, and my husband is a bassist. And so both of us are in the entertainment business. And we just decided to. Again, we were curious. We were curious about, you know, the next step. And so we decided to be, you know, foolish and crazy and kind of sell everything. And we did in, in 2001 and we moved to Los Angeles. And again, it was a whole new world that was very scary and very new. But again, we, I got into more corporate entertainment and, and uh, I was, in some ways I took many steps, had to take some steps back. You know, I was, I had to do things that I had done maybe 10 years before that in terms of, I served tables again, which I hadn't done for a long time. And, and so it was a, a tough time, but it was, um, but it was really that curiosity that just kept pushing us forward and, until eventually we, um, we, we, I got an opportunity in Las Vegas with, with Cirque, Cirque du Soleil, which, uh, again, was a, is a whole other world, but I think that's what it was. It's just starting, starting somewhere and then just, 
wanting that healthy challenge each step. And it, it just slowly built. Like, you know, sometimes it was three steps forward, two steps back, or four steps forward, one step back. But, you know, I guess we, we land where we land. Well, and the interesting thing is that you have challenging times or good times. You can look back yeah. at the different times in your career and say, this is, this is something I really worked hard for and, and I can enjoy it because I remember how, what, the, what the struggle was like. And, and you know, I, I, I really want to get into uh, your Cirque du Soleil time because I find that interesting. But I want to kind of work uh, chronologically and, and talk with your most recent project, Vivid, uh, which you wrote and directed. And this was a, a, a performance that's in Berlin. It was very uh, international, from what I understand. A lot of collaboration from all over the world, uh, including a, a very renowned hat and fashion designer, uh, Philip Tracy. So tell us about Vivid. Vivid is a, is a spectacle. It's a spectacle that combines circus at a very high level, choreography, storytelling, musicals, cabaret. Uh, so I, the best way to say it, I would say it is a show. On purpose, we didn't want it to fit neatly into a category of circus or musical or concert. You know, we wanted it to be a story that that uses different mediums to reach people's heart and souls. And uh, But Berlin, uh, I, I got a call a few years ago. They had seen, the producer there had seen something I had done in Italy with, with Cirque du Soleil. And so I had never heard of this theater, to be honest, although it has been there. This year is its, its 100th anniversary. Wow. And uh, it started in, in East Germany, yeah. And then when the wall came down, I mean, one of the, you know, the, one of the first buildings was bombed in the war, and then it resurrected again. And then when the wall came down, it, it survived. And now it's, of course, all just Berlin. And so it was just a whole new way of thinking and, and how to reach the German public and the international public, but uh, it's a spectacular show. I would I would have to say it's a it was a wonderful collaboration. Uh, I think in the show there are 98 performing artists, um, including you know dancers, uh, orchestra, uh, athletes, uh, circus artists, singers, and uh, but the collaboration. Yeah, I think there were different collaborators from 25 different countries. When you look at the the videography, the video design, who they were from Hungary, and the composers were from Los Angeles and Berlin, and and then, of course, as you said, uh, working with Philip Tracy, who is the world's greatest Milner, and he's just a phenomenal designer. And uh, so, and he's from fashion, you know, the world of haute couture and high fashion. So it was really a, a, a great, great learning experience and ultimately and thankfully uh, a good success that, that still runs. I think it'll, it will run for one more year there. That's spectacular. And the thing I find also so amazing is you were the first woman in the theater's 100, over 100 year history to serve as writer and director. And, you know, that's a pioneering moment. I, I guess it is, yes. Uh, actually, not only had they not invited a woman to be the writer and director in 100 years, but they had never invited a director from across the ocean. Wow. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, there are many women in, working in the building, but never at, at that, I guess, at that level or in that position. So, 
it was yeah I'm, I'm really honored that that they they asked me and and trusted me with that 13 years you spent with Cirque du Soleil which is uh, you know a very worldwide famous name uh, you were artistic director of O at the Bellagio and um, I think one of the coolest things that you did was the one night for one drop and um, I, I don't know how you felt about it but I would feel a tremendous amount of pressure putting on a show that is just one night for that specific purpose and uh, you pulled it off beautifully raising a, a massive amount of money but uh, you know what was that experience like working on that specific show it you you said it well it was a lot of pressure I had been uh, after I was artistic director of O um, I had then I I actually created the casting department in Las Vegas for for Cirque du Soleil for all of the resident shows not just in Las Vegas but the resident shows worldwide of Cirque and so I had I had I enjoyed casting it was extremely creative but I hadn't you know directed in in a while I'd taken a bit of a hiatus from that and so when I was first asked to do one night for one drop uh I just I had this pit in my stomach I thought why on earth are they asking me to do this and I I to be honest I wanted just my instinct was no way I have to be honest with you I was just no that you know will this will this work will will I achieve this as you said it's one night um it's the it's for one drop which is the foundation created by the founder of Cirque du Soleil Guy La Liberté and uh, so there was a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation uh but ultimately actually it was my my sister back in in Edmonton who said you know sometimes the the river makes a few curves in life and you just have to follow the river so i i said yes and and once I said yes, then it was uh, I was kind of back to my hustling self and and just move forward with creating a concept that will both uh, you know one uh, one drop is to help uh, bring water and sustainable living to people to vulnerable communities throughout the world. So it's it's a deep meaning, but at the same time it has to be extreme spectacle and more of the latter than the former to be honest like it has to be good and, and as you said one night and there's a lot of risk these people take every single night and there's a lot of things that can go wrong to you know with it was at the O theater so there are, it's it's a million gallons of water in that pool with lifts and hydraulics and uh, a huge amount of stage technology to make things work and it's very common for you know there to be lift faults or problems and so you know your dream, you know where you want to go, but you always have to check in with, okay, what if this happens? Or we were we used 230 Cirque du Soleil artists. They closed all of the Cirque shows that night in Las Vegas in order to bring um, awareness to the cause and awareness for One Night for One Drop. And so we were therefore able to use the talents, the wonderful talents of the Cirque artists here in Las Vegas and elsewhere. But injuries are normal. And you have to always keep planning and, and uh, mitigating risk. And, but ultimately, it was, I mean, thankfully, I, it, the show was an hour and a half. And the entire hour and a half, well, I don't think I got any sleep probably for the month before that because O was still running. So we, we also had to do all of our, our queuing and uh, stage you know, programming for all the lists. It's very quite scientific and mathematical, to be honest, to get to the level where people aren't even thinking about that. They're looking at the images and the, the artistry. And so, so after a lot of sleepless nights, um, we finally got to the evening and the entire night, we, you know, I was just sitting on the edge of my seat 
just, you know, wanting to enjoy every second, but also knowing what was coming up. And, uh, and we got to the end and, uh, it was, um, a bit of a turning point. I have to say, you know, it was a huge, it was a, a risky, it was a, a really risky venture, but ultimately worth it. And as you said, we, you know, the main goal was to bring, uh, to raise funds and awareness for this, this great cause in the world. And we were able to achieve that. So it was fantastic. We are celebrating Canada Day with uh, Krista Mawson, who is from St. Albert. She is a conceptor, uh, a writer, creative director, stage director, has worked uh, all over the world, including uh, Cirque du Soleil and recently with uh, Vivid, a performance in Berlin. And Krista, the one thing I find interesting when I talk to people that uh, you know are in positions like yours is you're dealing with a lot of different personalities and a lot of different types of performers as well. And in all the different shows, you have of gymnasts, divers, uh, acrobats, a lot of different backgrounds. Um, sometimes it's great, and but I'm sure there's times where it do- all doesn't mesh together. What's it like having to deal with that many different personalities and performers? It's, for me, it, it motivates me. It makes me tick. I am so passionate about being in the company of, of different nationalities and learning about how other people think. Really at the base of it is how other people think and how they think will affect how they perform. Um, it, can all, it is also very challenging because the way you approach, communicate, you know, get your point across to not only the different nationalities. I think, you know, I've worked with artists and, and people from over, you know, 40 nationalities on a daily basis. So each nationality is 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 different and thinks differently, receives information differently, performs differently, is motivated, you know, to to be their elite self in a different way. Uh, they're also coming from highly competitive backgrounds, so you're teach, you're coaching them and le- teaching them to now collaborate. It's not about the gold medal performance anymore. It's about wearing this crazy costume and um and doing something thousands and thousands of times over again with excellence every single night so that's one challenge and the other challenge is that as you said how musicians speak their the way they communicate with each other the way they you know that commun- that language is different for a musician is different than clowns you know russian clowns speak differently than or communicate differently than they don't want to be told what to do mm-hmm. you know they want to be influenced and you know so it's a, it's a conversation about the 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 mood and the tone and that's how they you know will get better whereas for an athlete like especially a competitive athlete they are that you know they're they've been used to being told what to do and how to do it for a very long time so it's a whole new ball game for them to engage in a conversation about emotion <laughs> and it's it's quite foreign to them actually so that that I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and it, but it comes with this challenge. And then those different nationalities are working together every night. And in many of the images, um, you know, they, they are actually supporting each other, meaning supporting each other 50 feet above the ground with their hands. So they have to trust. The biggest, uh, issue is, is trust. And, um, they have to look into each other's eyes and know that their partner will 
will grab them after their double somersault. They'll grab them on the ankles. And so that, that trust is, is really important to, to keep alive and nurture. That's essential. So, so this was a, it's a huge challenge in it, but it's really, really fun. And we, and we always learn new things from different ways of thinking people coming together. And rewarding uh, when everything goes really well. Yeah. Right? You know, that has to be That's you know, it. gratifying. What's it like? What's showtime for you? Are you uh, pretty like a, a nervous uh, show watcher or do you get to relax and enjoy it? Uh, I would like to say I'm a really relaxed show watcher, but uh, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, it depends on if this is opening night. And I mean, even, you know, we were talking about Vivid and, you know, there were things that the audience wouldn't see. But again, these, this, these, they're high tech shows, so there's a lot of images depending on what moving pipe moves at one point. It's extremely rewarding when it all comes together, and you know you're you. That's when we get to celebrate, and it's those moments where we've achieved something that you sit back and you remember all of the challenges and all of the, you know the you know, pushing yourself to, to get better and pushing the, what else can we do here? And is it enough? And you, you know, those, those stories become melancholy and they become, you know, those great memories of what we have, but, uh, it is extremely rewarding when it, 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 it's, it's a bit of a high, you know, when, when you, you're creating something, yeah, I, I imagine it's like a hockey game or, you know, it's, this is, these are high pressured situations where they say the best test of an athlete or an artist is how they respond to pressure. And so when that happens and everybody responds well, including the spotlight operator, you know, not just the athletes on the stage, but um, including the trainers backstage who are, you know, treating a minor injury right before that person has to run on stage. Everybody is focused on that performance. And when it all comes together, it is, uh, it's, it's, it can be life-changing. Yeah, I, c- I can only imagine uh, all, the amount of moving parts that have to go into a show. Um, back- backstage would be an interesting time, I'm sure. You're, uh, we're celebrating Canada Day. You've also worked with another great Canadian in uh, Celine Dion as well. I'm sure that was an interesting experience. And, and maybe that leads me to what, what are a few career highlights that you can look back on and uh, you know think of, you know, they might mean something to you, uh, but what, uh, or more to you rather, but what are some career highlights that you have? Well, you know, I have, I've, I've, I feel really grateful that I've had many, as you know, I'm sure we all have. But one of them, in all honesty, was was you know, I grew up in St. Albert, and at one point, and at one point, I moved to Edmonton, to the south, so, you know, near near White Avenue, and I started belonging to the Edmonton theater community, and I thought. And I was. I mean, it was a very, very special time for me. But just to belong to that community, I just remember, you know, how many kilometers between, you know, between St. Albert and Edmonton. But it was, it was like I had moved to a different universe because I was working with, I was in a different community. And I, I love my friends in St. Albert and my family, of course. But it, that really st- sticks out to me to this day that I really felt I, I belonged to a, a really fascinating community. Um, another one, I would say when I did get the call to work with Cirque, um, at the time, uh, we were in Los Angeles kind of hacking it out. And uh, I was working at a high school 
freelancing. I think I did, you know, three hours a week or something. Uh, we were trying to make, make ends meet. And I had gone back to Las Vegas in our used car uh, for interviews for probably two years and hadn't received, there wasn't a position open. They just wanted to get to know me, which was, it's part of their process, but still you want the job or, you know, and we were, as I said, it was a, a struggling time. And I was sitting in the car just before I went into this high school and I got this call and, and said, we'd, we'd like you to move to Las Vegas and uh, be the artistic director of O. And I just remember being frozen in the car and, and just <laughs> thinking, oh, goodness, this is, this is, uh, I, so I went in and I said to the, the, it was with the choir director and I said, um, I think I have to call my husband now. <laughs> and, uh, so, and I, 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 so I did. And, and, and that, you know, that was a moment where you think, okay, that, that struggle had been, had been worth it. So that, that was, a, that was a really important part, uh, important moment for me. And then I would say there was another, uh, I, w- I actually was working with the United Nations uh, in 2016 in Istanbul, and I was the creative director for the first World Humanitarian Summit. And uh, I, it was right after One Night for One Drop or a couple of years later, and I was working with, you know, Nobel Peace Prize nominees who had been, you know, child soldiers and gotten away from that life. And they were on this stage with, you know, Daniel Craig and, and these celebrities. But it was really the, the heart and soul of these people who had lived this these atrocious lives and who had the courage to share their stories. And I remember there was one Nobel Peace Prize nominee named Victor Ochen, and an African gentleman who was brave enough to tell his story about how he, he had never seen his twin brother before because the soldiers had captured him. And, and at that moment, and I remember he came up to me, he was this towering figure and, and we were, you know, we were doing our job. We were working on lighting and video and, and teleprompters and the flow and the 180 country delegation, getting them seated and everything. And I remember he said to me, Krista, he took my hand and he said, fight the good fight. And, um, I just, I really appreciated that he was invited the message of, you know, enjoy <laughs> have some times for enjoyment we all work hard but uh there's always time for pleasure and the idea that art can be used to make differences in the world besides they move people they can inspire people and that it can make a difference the the courage it takes for people to share their stories i think that's a wonderful message and uh, i think that would be a pretty uh, powerful moment and, and and that's interesting you're you've worked on the uh, on international all over the world so what do you think uh, as we celebrate canada day what do you think how do you think canadians are viewed internationally what do people think of canadians when you meet them overwhelmingly positive i would say there are those the stereotypical qualities nice polite apologetic um kind those those qualities which I believe inherently, you know, Canadians are, but we're so much more than that. And I think that people, you know, working now, not only in the United States and living here for a long, a while now, but also in Germany and Italy and France and in, in, in Turkey, for example, the Canadians, they're instantly, there's an instant bond or there's an instant respect for Canadians. I would say we don't have to go into a background. It's just, ah, Canada. People's eyes brighten up. Um, And I think there's also a great respect 
the the instant impressions, even without digging deep too too deeply into it, is that Canadians are seen as insightful, uh, tolerant, uh, really observant, take time to listen, respect other people, tolerance. And I think these qualities make huge differences in in the world, but in how someone approaches their work, in some how someone gets better at something because Canadians listen and they observe and they and as a result they you know they they care and and that makes different that can make a difference. So I, I think there's a, a huge respect for Canadians outside of Canada, and I'm super proud. More and more, uh, as a Canadian, even I'm probably more proud living as a Canadian living outside of Canada, maybe than I would be if I was still in Canada. I mean, I visited a lot, of course, but um, I'm uh, I'm I'm extremely proud of of my Canadian heritage, and I I think Canadians. Have, are very, really well respected and placed in the world for sure. What do you miss about Canada? Uh, I miss my, you know, I miss my, I have many friends um, and my family, of course. I miss, you know, I miss, people complain, well, here in the United States, unfortunately, they complain about Canada, you know, having high taxes, higher taxes. But you get something in return for that. Yes, we do, there are higher taxes in Canada, and there's, it's hard to argue outside of that, but that stuff that's what one would say the free stuff and not just healthcare and and that stuff that is you know politically motivated right now but the outdoor the festivals the outdoor festivals where you 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 can see and hear music and comedy and street festivals and education that that encourages critical thinking i miss that and all the stuff between the lines you know create meaningful connection I think it's that's uh, we're, we're missing a lot of that in, in the in my opinion in, in the world right now is connection between between people um, and uh, you know social media is a great tool for connection but it co- can also be a great tool to uh, inhibit it and so when you get people outside and and visiting with each other and sharing stories and so that's what Canada has people get that and they get it for free I mean I guess they pay for it with you know, in, in certain ways, but they, everyone and everybody has access to it. And that approach that everybody has access to these, these opportunities um, to enrich their lives is, I really, I miss that. I miss that. Finally, uh, I want to wrap up with a great Canadian story. And that is of your (laughs) grandfather, uh, Walter Monson, who uh, not only won a gold medal at the 1932 Lake Placid Olympics in hockey, he was the tournament's leading scorer. That's a a pretty impressive story and a pretty impressive uh, family history that you have. Yeah, I'm really proud of my papa. He, he, we called him papa and, uh, he, I didn't discover that he was an Olympian until, till high school, to be honest. He was, uh, and I think I, I learned that, you know, modesty and humility from, from my parents and from, probably from him too, because he, he was the type that, that walked the walk and not talked the talk. And so I, I didn't realize that he had, walk the walk of an Olympian until, until much later in my life. But, um, yeah, it, it, it is quite a story and, and how, I think there were only, it was a time, 1932, it was a time in, in the history of the world where there weren't a lot of teams. I think there were only four or five teams. The gold 
winning game was between Canada and the U.S., and Canada won that game. And the next time, from my, my understanding, is that the next time Canada beat the U.S. in a gold medal game on U.S. soil was in Salt Lake. Yes, that's correct. Not long ago, the Salt Lake, right? So, you know, there's these little things that kind of take us back to his experience. And, um, of course, when I see the photos of that game, this outdoor game, freezing cold in Lake Placid, no helmets, a few, you know, well, there were many people in the stands, but not, you know, 18,000 people. It was, it was a couple of hundred. And, but uh, he, he really dedicated his life to, uh, to sport. And, uh, of course, after that game, he was invited to become to, I think he was invited to become part of the NHL for Montreal. Um, but at that time, it was, it was a different time, and he had a young family, and it, was, it wasn't a, a golden ticket. It wasn't the golden mm, ticket yeah. that it is today. It was, it was still a huge risk for, to, to leave your job. He worked at the CN Railway, so he chose to, to, after that amazing moment with the Olympics, he, he chose to keep his job, and, and, uh, and that, was, that, was, that was the day. That's what people did, or you know, that's he chose. So we're really proud of him. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Monson underscore Krista and follow her uh, international career. Krista, thank you so much for spending some time with us on Canada Day. Uh, continued success. We'll be watching you from St. Albert and, and cheering on. And uh, I hope to, uh, I've never been to Vegas and Trisha's shocked by this. And, and I, I hope to get down there at some point. There's now uh, Kelly McCrimmon is uh, a good Brandon guy running the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. So I look forward to getting there, watching some hockey and, uh, and visiting with you. Absolutely. We'll go see a nice game together. You betcha. Thanks very much, Krista. Thank you, Dean. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. This is best or worst. On best or worst today, going with the best shave ever. And uh, this is a kind of a cumulative thing, but I'll go with the very first one. I've gotten uh, different shaves uh, before, and, uh, you know, some of them have been really good, and some of them have been not so good. Uh, but I went to Mike's Barber Shop in St. Albert, here where I live, uh, just a, a small, um, you know, mom-and-pop kind of shop, and um, there was a guy named Sam uh, that uh, and, and Marv who, who worked there. And I went there and saw Marv first, and he gave me, uh, this, uh, you know, razor, straight razor shave. Uh, it was uh, just phenomenal. And it was it was amazing because I walked out of there and it didn't feel like I just shaved my face or had my shave face and face shaved. And most of the times you go to those places and you're like, ah, you need to go home and do some uh, work. It was incredible. The attention to detail was amazing. Uh, I expected to be in and out fast like that, like a lot of other places. I've never seen attention to detail like that first day, and it continues every time I go there. Um, you know, there's been a few different uh, people uh, rotating in and out, uh, but mostly it's been Marv who has uh, done uh, the, the shaving of my face for the last uh, year or two uh, since uh, I've been in St. Albert. So I, I go there quite regularly. The prices are really good. It's a cool little barber shop, and uh, like I said, the best thing about it is the attention to detail and um, I, I don't like shaving. I, I really don't. I had to shave all the time when I was in television. It drove me nuts. So I like having a beard, but not just a regular beard. I do a little bit of like a, a strip line down the uh, sideburn or whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called. But 
I, I like to go in and uh, not just get a regular uh, beard, but I don't like to shave all the time. So something that's, uh, you know, easy to maintain and um, it's it's great. Uh, Mike's Barbershop in St. Albert, best shave ever. This is now Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pele. That's the song you are hearing by Sweet Bejesus. That is Kevin Dabbs and Christian Gutzis. They are the official band of Sports and More. And uh, Kevin Dabbs also does uh, voiceover work uh, with his lovely wife, Christine Vandalo. They are the uh, official voiceover of uh, Sports and More, the Cannabis 101 podcast, and the Prospects baseball show. If you need some voice work, definitely reach out to them. So this is a Goalie Geek Out accompanied by Pele where I just talk about a couple of goalies, uh, one that I really liked and uh, one that I maybe wasn't a fan of. Uh, most of it is from when I was a kid. But this is a story about two goalies that uh, I dealt with in my media career. And uh, they're Nikolai Habibulin and Dwayne Rolison, both former Oilers. The reason I like Habibulin so much, it goes a little bit back to he was a Winnipeg Jet, and he was there at the end, 1996, when they moved, when they lost to Detroit in the playoffs, and then they uh, moved on to Arizona, and he was really good. So I like Nikolai Habibulin because he was a former Winnipeg Jet, and then I was, moved to Edmonton, and he ended up in Edmonton, and I thought it was cool, and he was really personable. He wasn't the most talkative guy, but he would have a conversation with you. I did a story on masks one time, and he actually let me... You know, look at his mask and get some really cool shots. And, you know, sometimes goalies can be a little bit finicky with their equipment, and I totally understand. But he was good. He told me some stories about what went on, and he didn't really know much about Pink Floyd, but everybody called him the Boolean Wall, so he thought that would be good. He was really personable to deal with in Edmonton. Uh, obviously, they, they had some terrible teams. Whereas Dwayne Rollison, the exact opposite. They went to the cup final with him, but he was really difficult to work with. Uh, I, as a media member and, and a hockey player, I did not I enjoy the experience. I would try to talk to him about some other goaltenders and habits, and he just would have none of it. And listen, he was a professional athlete. Maybe that's how he got it done, and he got the Oilers very close to a Stanley Cup, so that's his prerogative. I just did not enjoy dealing with him in that particular, those particular situations because he was, uh, to put it politely, prickly with the media. So... Um, just based on that, I was not a fan. Like the what he did and his, uh, you know, he worked hard to get where he was and got the Oilers. Was, it was just ridiculous. If it wasn't for Chris Pronger, he would have won the Conn Smythe if the Oilers would have won the Cup in 06. But um, just personality-wise, didn't find him uh, fun to deal with uh, from a media perspective where there have been some goals. Even Martin Brodeur, he was great to chat with, uh, you know, talked to him going all the way back to his World Junior days and things like that. But... Uh, some guys got it, and they understood that, listen, uh, you're in a league, and the media covers that league, and that's what the uh, v vehicle is to get, to, to get it to the fans. It should be a partnership. Some guys didn't. That's Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pele.
Harry's Discount Sex Shop. We're at the corner of Libido and Cleavage. Kidding. First of May, come down see me. Ask for Harry. I'm the guy with a snake on his face. I love you. From SCTV to the big screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> John Candy was a comedic legend. Buck melanoma. Molly Russell's wart. Oh, oh, that feels good. Oh, God, I'm telling you, my dogs are barking today. We now celebrate another great John Candy character. I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. So for this Canada Day edition of Sports and More, I had to go back to the SCTV days of uh, John Candy for this great John Candy character. We are doing Harry, the guy with a snake on his face, the owner of Harry's Sex Shop. Hi, you know me, I'm Harry, owner of Harry's Sex Shop. I'm the guy with a snake on his face. That's one of the commercials that uh, John Candy playing Harry, the guy with a snake on his face, the owner of Harry's sex shop. He would read from some colorful books. And I just always loved these skits where they were uh, commercials because you just never knew where they were going to really be going. He he shows a cover of Forbes magazine where he's apparently being featured on, and then he's dancing with Nancy Reagan on the uh, inside of the uh, magazine. So it was obviously quite fun. And what made this so funny for me is that he made reading his pornographic novels seem like he was reading classic literature. A book becomes great only when it's recognized as being great. Generation after generation. Sweet and naughty. School for swappers. Female goalies. Seeker goes to Tijuana. Fooling around with nurses. And many, many more too numerous to mention. Female goalies. It's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, the Library of Distinction, it was called. A special books that you needed in your collection. Oh, of course, only available from Harry's Sex Shop. And not just to read, but to look at as well. The pride a person feels in acquiring books like these comes not only from the power and significance of each literary masterpiece, it also comes from the sheer beauty of each book. Now the classics of world pornography are available in genuine imitation leather binding, beautifully illustrated, decorated with real-looking gold, handcrafted, and distinctively distinct. Well, that's saying something for sure. And, you know, Harry's Sex Shop... Expanded to over 200 locations, even into Mexico. So you could get in on the action as well at a bunch of different Harry's sex shop locations. Start your personal collection today. Send $12 to Harry's Library of Distinction, Gary Harry's Sex Shop. Do it right away. Remember, I'm Harry, the guy with a snake on his face. <laughs> this is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Another edition of Fantasy Fun Time with Jamie Thomas. We're going to talk uh, some baseball, some football, some hockey, and we'll get a commissioner story. I loved last week's Lock Down the Funds story uh, about uh, the the wife locking down the funds of a fantasy uh, player. Uh, But it's interesting. uh, Our our fantasy baseball matchup this week is you and I head-to-head. It's the Battle of the Basement. Do you, I, and a... uh, Three Pete champion are battling for the final playoff spot, and our matchup has been so close, and it has changed all week. And that's the thing I find most about fantasy baseball is fantasy baseball can change more than any other fantasy sport. Yeah, I, I you know, I think you were up like nine to two in categories at one. 
some point and it looks like a runaway. But lots of times, uh, if you're down to going to the weekend, as long as you get some good pitching matchups or your pitchers come through for you, can save yourself a little bit. But yeah, there's nothing that fluctuates more to me than the uh, the scores in a head-to-head baseball league in terms of uh, the stats switching back and forth. So you've got you've got me on pitching categories because none of my pitchers, my starting pitchers, have been garbage this year. So they're they're absolutely killing me and i've got guys on, on the dl that are uh, absolutely uh, you know holding me back this year so it's uh it has been on Corey kluber going on the il's has been awful paul aj pollock's been on the uh, al the il's killing me too tyler uh glass is on <laughs> so it's like it's awful it's an awful year that way and i think that's the one thing with baseball your 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 starting pitching goes down it's it's you're in for a long year no matter what you do so uh, you and i are finding it out to see if we're going to be playing either in the toilet bowl or for the real thing later on. And I thought with less teams in our league, we'd have a better chance. And with all those moves you made uh, in the off season, I thought you were one of the contenders. You look like the Los Angeles Lakers yeah. loading up on star <laughs> players and getting rid of draft picks. And it's just not working for you right now, but yeah, that's, uh, and- that's the beauty of baseball. You're up six, five, one right now. Yeah. And, and injuries, the same thing. I had Kershaw at the start of the year. Wasn't hurt. Keuchel didn't have a team. Uh, Trevor Story's on uh, the DL for me. Marcelo Suna is, has gone down now. So it's uh, the f- injuries are the cruel mistress of of fantasy baseball. And and okay, so I'm going to look at your team for a quick second. And uh, Jordan mm-hmm. Lundell is the head coach of the Edmonton Prospects, who I do the Prospects baseball show with. He's talked about Bryce Bryce Harper a lot this year and the disappointment of Bryce Harper. Whereas you look at a guy that has Mike Trout, you know you're getting exact what you're getting from from uh, Mike Trout. Have you been disappointed in Bryce Harper this? Yeah, well, considering I gave up uh, Walker Bueller to get Bryce Harper, so then I just saw what that, you got uh, from me. I mean, you got Walker Bueller for me to get Kershaw. I know, and I I have been a hundred percent. He was three for four today, but yeah, there's it almost when these guys sign these astronomical deals outside of Mike Trout, you're hesitant and worried because you're like, okay, well, he's got the big deal, and yes, he's worth all these numbers, and he was one of the top three agents in baseball this past off season. So you thought, yeah, but then at the same time, how much does that money make a guy relax or how much does that money put the pressure on him to do a lot more? And I think that's where uh, Bryce Harper is sitting right now in Philadelphia, a tough place to uh, play. And if you're not performing to the levels that uh, all those fans are hoping that you are, you can have yourself a tough year. So, yeah, I've been uh, very disappointed Bryce Harper has been anything but an MVP candidate at all. Uh, in the National League or in baseball period, so it's been, it's been a tough sledding for me. And uh, it, as you know, you you build your players, your team around a star player like that. You give up some draft picks and and a good pitcher to get a, a player of that caliber, and he doesn't deliver it yet. It's been really hard to watch this year. And I do go in and out of uh, MLB at bat the app and check and see how Bryce Harper's doing from time to time. But he's he's been atrocious this year. And I have a lot of youth on my roster too, and uh, it's just a recipe for disaster. And and then. The, the aforementioned injuries, but Jake Odorizzi has been a, a pleasant surprise for me this year. I think for a lot of people too. And uh, Kirby Yates has been giving me some saves. I'm holding on to both those guys until the trade deadline. We'll see if I can get some good quality out of it. But uh, I think it's going to be pretty tough for any one of us, of the three of us to provide any type of pressure on the uh, division leading uh, St. Albert Skyhawks, the defending champions. 
Um, speaking of MVP, you mentioned uh, Bryce Harper not living up to MVP. Um, it, when it comes to fantasy baseball, I, I think the two names people look at are Christian Yelich and, and Cody Bellinger. Um, do you do you look at one of those two guys as being the MVP this year? Is there another name? Is it Trout? Uh, or is there a pitcher that you look at? I, I think Mike Trout is just his his OPS is through the charts a homer away. He's just doesn't matter who he's going up against. Every week he's he's providing something for you. So him and Kristen Yellick and uh, and of course Bellinger have been outstanding this year. But I just how ridiculous Mike Trout is. I just think to me he is by far the best player in baseball, even in fantasy baseball right now. And uh, that's a tough thing to say considering um, everything that Cl- Cody Bellinger, sorry, Kristen Yellick have done. Bellinger's been fantastic in outfield. Uh, uh, just a great defender, and uh, but I would go with Mike Trout on top of that list, even though it's really tight in that aspect. But uh, Trout has been tremendous to me in all aspects. The one reason I give Bellinger the the edge is that he is eligible at outfield, first base, and of course utility. If you had that, so yeah. it just gives you one more option. So I look at versatility as being a big part of the fantasy package. Yeah, and there's like it's like splitting hairs with him and Yelich too, right? So it's just, but I mean, finally, it is nice to have these types of conversations because it is. Is so tight usually you know you're, there's such a clear uh thing going on in terms of who the best player in baseball is that fantasy wise but there's a, a three-way race to me at this point but I, I always go with mike trout in this situation because it's just every day you watch him something's happening every day he's going to provide you something with it, whether it's a home run or a stolen base but he's just such a great player Let's move on to football. You and I made a trade this week. Uh, you were interested in Jameis Winston, so I sent you Jameis Winston and a third-round pick next year for a second-round pick this year and Lamar Jackson. And people were wondering, why do you have a backup quarterback and this, that? And, well, there's a lot of teams. There's, what, 16 teams in our league, right? Yeah, 16. And it just I know lots of people go, why don't you go? Quarterbacks, I hate the two-quarterback system in fantasy football. I can't stand it. Uh, to me, that's not even close to what fantasy football or real football is, and I know it's fantasy. Um, but, you know, we have our bye week, so you have to have that's a backup right. quarterback at some point, and matchups, right? There's just sometimes your quarterback doesn't matter how good he is. There's, there's not many quarterbacks in fantasy football that are a must-start every week uh, that you can have unless you do have Aaron Rodgers um, or the like, like uh, such as that. So, um I, I just think that the two quarterbacks you have to have for injury. Also, on top of that, injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we carry three in our league, but one of that got one of those players has to be a backup quarterback because you can't have guys hoarding QBs in a in a sixteen team league uh, when there's only thirty two NFL teams. So that that's why we do it. Uh, the reason why I did that deal is I just have a good feeling about Jameis Winston um, teaming up with Bruce Arians, uh, who has proven to be a, a quarterback whisperer in his time, no matter where he's went in the National Football League, whether he's been an offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, or a head coach. Uh, his quarterbacks have shined. Um, so th- I made that deal because I need a starting quarterback. I love Lamar Jackson. I love everything about him. I just don't know if he has the durability to play the way that he does week in and week out and run the ball as much as he can. And I, I think he's only going to get better, but I need to win this year. And I have, the, I have the horses in the, in, in the backfield to do so. I think I have good, I got great receivers as well. So now I felt that, that the time was to move and I paid a little higher price because I'm giving you Lamar Jackson. He's going to be your backup quarterback. Jameis Winston is going to be my starter. Right. And, and it's interesting. I drafted Jameis Winston first overall in our rookie draft, I won the toilet bowl the one year, had the first pick, and it was 
obviously the uh, the the Mariota Winston, and and I went with Jameis yeah. Winston. He has never lived up to that hype so far, but maybe he will. And I have Jimmy Garoppolo as my starting quarterback. So Lamar Jackson is a backup, and I pick up a second round pick. It's good, and there was it was some good negotiations going back and forth. I, I find. Some guys won't negotiate, and it frustrates me. It's like you send them an offer, and they just reject it. Well, come back with a counter offer, or say I'm not trading him. Like, I've had somebody after Justin Verlander for the last little while, and I finally said, listen, I'm not going to trade Justin Verlander this year. So that ends the conversation, but I can't stand it when guys don't negotiate. And they send you one, they say, what do you want for this guy? And then you tell them and the price they won't. Like, I paid last year, again, I felt like my window was open, and I traded for Tom Brady. And I paid a first-round draft pick and a first-round rookie pick. And I sent uh, Baker Mayfield as well because I just figured Tom Brady, uh, the Patriots, and then Tom Brady went to that little quagmire there, and I lost. Yeah, so I paid. I overpaid by a lot. Uh, but I, I thought the window was there, and I got, I got taken advantage of at that point. So uh, it, it, if teams smell your desperation, you're in trouble. And, then, and if they know that you have this opportunity to win, they're going to take advantage of it, especially when they have – a team that is not going to win that year. So that's always, there's lots of shrewd moves going on. There are certain guys in your league that you just can't stand dealing with because they're always going to try to get the advantage on you. There's the guys that you can take advantage of because they have a certain uh, love for a certain team or player that you can capitalize on or, um, you know, a certain type you know, a position, a desperation. And if, if there's a guy you know that needs a, a running back badly, you can totally take advantage of that. So that, that, that just depends on the situation. Uh, I like making trades to make trades sometimes uh, to, to get things going, to wake things up a little bit. But in the 16-team league that we have, WPFL, I would probably say I would give six. I go about half the teams in our league are good good guys to deal with. The other half are, you know, there's Cliffy. <laughs> and then there's devil. everybody else. The fantasy devil. And we'll, we'll refer to him constantly throughout the uh, many times we do these little conversations. You know, it's funny, when I was in my very first baseball league, back when I was working at CKX Television in Brandon, and there wasn't a lot of internet, I fleeced a guy, I traded him a closer who was out for the year for a second round pick, and like, everybody, every, I was in front of a bunch of people, and everybody else was keeping, because like, that's kind of like, like, listen, I, I think the collusion should not happen, but if you're not smart, if you're not smart enough to realize you're getting fleeced, that's on you. And there, I, I would, I would never stop a trade from happening by saying uh, that that dude's out for the year. Because if if you're if 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 you can't find the dumbest guy in the room, it's probably you. Yeah, and that's the problem, right? Like a lot of guys, you get texts every once in a while from an owner who will say, "How come you didn't stop this trade?" I'm just like, "That's on the team that got fleeced. That's his responsibility." Yes. Like, and it's if you're not paying attention, I'm not there to babysit. Now, if it's totally brutal and it affects everything, the competitive balance of your league, then you kind of have to say something. But most times you have to leave it to people. You have to leave it to the guys. If they want to be stupid and make a dumb trade, that's your problem. And if, if the guy gets a good trade, good on him for capitalizing on the situation. And we can even go with Cliff. Like Cliff knew years ago that uh, one of the owners in our league loved the Toronto Maple Leafs, like loved the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he got Evgeny Malkin, for Vesa Toskala. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. So that was, that was the Guinea Malkin's rookie year, but I remember that specifically it was for Vesa Toskala. And then I can't remember Cliffy who he fleeced for Martin St. Louis. I remember when Martin St. Louis had a horrible year and then he was fantastic the following year. And I think he got him from Martin Verdur and Verdur was on the back end of his 
uh, career as well. But uh, that might be an inaccurate part assessment, but I remember him fleecing somebody from Martin St. Louis and just went on a, a tear. Now, Cliffy, of course, is the Atlanta Braves of fantasy everything. He <laughs> wins the regular season and just can't capitalize on the championship <laughs> later on. But uh, God love those guys in your league. You got to love those because those are the guys you complain about, but you have to love them because at least they're aggressive enough to go out and make those types of moves and to help their their whatever team it is. All right. So in hockey, when it comes to the sport of hockey and fantasy hockey, what's what's one category that you don't like and one that you would like added? Uh, okay. So plus minus is a big, a big chaps my butt so badly because it's such a horrible, you have absolutely no control over that one, right? And you can't, like Patrick, I had Patrick Line this year, and I also had uh, uh, Ristolainen from Buffalo. I think Ristolainen had the worst minus, plus minus the National Hockey League this year, and I think Line was minus twenty something. So I, I think I set the record in, in our uh, our fantasy hockey league for worst plus minus this year. So I, I hate that one. I don't think there's much to it. There's no skill to it. Um, there's no predicting it either. Uh, so I can't stand plus minus. I found this other league. I can't remember the fantasy website that I was on. But they had hits plus blocks combined. And I found if you're trying to find a way to provide value for a defenseman um, outside of points, I thought that one was the most effective. So uh, hits and bl- hits plus blocks was a stat on a website. And I can't, I, we can't do it on CBS, but this other website you could do it on. So hits plus blocks is something I would like to add. That's uh, that's pretty interesting. I'm not a fan of uh, block shots. Um, I, I like... But if there was a combination of hits with it, like block shots is one in our in our league uh, that I, I would get rid of. I, I just think I, I don't find it's a it's I don't find it's a skill, but hits plus block shots. I would be on board. I would like to add the one category and I've put it forward before. I'd like to add shootout goals because the amount of shootouts that there are, maybe that's the tipping point in a tie week. And you can look at specific skill guys. That is a skill the uh, set that is obviously gain. I, I hate the shootout. I wish they would uh, just play a little bit more overtime, um, but it is there. And I, I think a shootout goal should be added. You, you, you know, you might only have like three or four a week, but it could be the difference in, in using a skill to solve a game. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind that one at all. Actually, that's a pretty good addition. And you need some, you need some quirks in your league. Right. And I know I'm always looking all the time online for different stack categories that you could take out And hockey is so, you know, compared to football and compared to baseball, it's so hard to get that right stat that fits your league and everything. And, and uh, Greg Donnelly, who's our commissioner in our fantasy hockey league, is, you know, consistent. I know how he feels. You're always getting, hey, why don't we use this? And I'm complaining about plus minus because I'm just getting killed in it every week. So um, that's why, you know, you always feel bad for the commissioner in that aspect. But hockey lacks in that department of a creative or a quirky stat. And I, if any of your listeners are out there, man, I would love to know of any, you know, fantasy stat that you have or some quirk that you have in your league that makes it more a lot more interesting in the league because i would love to hear it because it's always nice to do something different in your league year after year yeah like and i think uh you could by the way you can tweet at us at duck millard or at jamie thomas tv i think greg is uh, fairly open and open-minded uh to two things and things like that and that's why he makes uh in my opinion a uh, good commissioner and that's something you are a commissioner in several leagues last week we told the locking down the funds story where the the wife was <laughs> locking down the funds and the husband couldn't pay. What do you have for us today as far as a commission story? <laughs> have you ever been to a draft? And uh, it's, it's rare. Uh, this was 1996, and uh, I lived in Lethbridge at the time. And have you ever been to a draft where most of your owners are in attendance and 
uh, a guy gets super drunk. And I had a guy that was so hammered. He made the worst draft picks ever. He he had just won our fantasy league, and he single-handedly destroyed his fantasy football team because he was so drunk. I had to pick. I had to carry him out of the hall that we rented and everything, and take him wow. back to my apartment in Lethbridge. Yeah, he was barfing by the end of the night. He was actually my cousin, or he is my cousin, and uh, much younger than me. But I think he's about ten years younger than I was. It was it was legal drinking, by the way. So don't anybody call the cops. <laughs> but uh, is Clayton Beto is his name. He's my cousin, and he got super hammered in '96. Absolutely destroyed his fantasy football league team. Never won. Hasn't been back since on top of the mountain. But he he just slaughtered it by making drunk picks. He was. He was slurring by round three. I knew there were some serious issues <laughs> on the way from that one. But that, I mean, I think draft day is so important and it's so hard now because I've moved so many times and there's so many guys in our league to have everybody come together. It was rare that we had that occurrence. Uh, so it was kind of a downer that day too. But if you can get all your owners in one room, I think that's probably the best fantasy draft there is. And it's, it's very hard to do. But uh, that was one of the few times that I've been able to do it. And in the 20 plus years of the WPFL, and it was uh, ruined by my younger cousin, Clayton, who got smashed in 1996. You're right. Uh, Live drafts, when you get everybody together, are the best. So, like, who do you think was a worst drafter, your cousin or Taco from the league? Oh, gosh. Like Taco, who drafted CFL players in their NFL fantasy league. Yeah, that's. I think Taco takes the cake on that one. You can't get like Clem was actually drafting NFLers, but it just none of them made sense. Yeah. and they were far down the draft list. He was just looking, and he was giggling every time he made a draft pick too. So he thought everything was funny. Uh, it just it wasn't funny. So uh, yeah, I would go Taco because if you're going with CFL players in your NFL draft. Taco takes the kick. Yeah, Taco drafting Joffrey Reynolds uh, is one of the highlights yes. of the league. Uh, Jamie, this was fun as always. We'll do Fantasy Fun Time again next week. Uh, good luck in fantasy. Thanks, buddy. You as well. Oh, that's hot. That's hot. What's hot right now? Cancel. So hot right now. Cancel. Let's explore and cool of the week. Very well. Where do I begin? So for Cool of the Week, I thought I would do some of the cool things that have uh, taken place in history on this July 1st. Of course, 1867 is Canada Day. That's when it became Canada Day. The Constitution Act united the province of Canada with Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. John A. Macdonald serving as the first Prime Minister of Canada. But the first recorded thing of anything happening of substance uh, came in the year 69, when... Batavian nobleman Gaius Julius Civilis uh, proclaimed Emperor of Syria. Take it for what you will. It was in the year 69. 1200, the year 1200, sunglasses were invented in China. Certainly we uh, love the sunshine here. Our summers are not very long in uh, northern Canada. 1698, the Congregation of Notre Dame of Montreal, founded by Marguerite Bourgeois, Canada's first saint. 1776, America's first vote on the Declaration of Independence will be signed three days later, and that, of course, is when the USA celebrates July 4th. 1858, the first Canadian coins were minted. One cent, five cent, ten cent, twenty cent. If you're not from Canada, then you would uh, not know we do not use the penny anymore. 
1873, on July 1st, PEI became the seventh province of Canada. 1881, the first international telephone conversation from Maine, United States, to New Brunswick, Canada took place. 1896, in on July 1st, Wilfrid Laurier, sworn in as the seventh different prime minister for Canada, the first French-speaking prime minister in Canada. 1905, Albert Einstein introduces his theory of special relativity, E equals MC squared, the world's most famous equation. So he introduces that on Canada Day in 1905. SOS in 1908 became the worldwide standard for distress singles. And the CBC links TV broadcasting across the country via microwave in 1958. And then in 1967, this is an awesome one, the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band goes number one in the United States where it stayed for 15 weeks. I don't know how many times in the year 1996 I sat in the living room of 949 Ingersoll in Winnipeg, Manitoba, listening to that album and hearing all kinds of sounds. It was awesome. 1979, uh, a certain generation will remember this one. Sony introduces the Walkman. Um, Now you have a Walkman basically on your phone with unlimited music if you have Apple Music. So it's awesome how times have changed. In 1980, O Canada officially became the national anthem. It was first performed in 1880, and it took like 100 years uh, to get them to decide that it should be the song. This is a sad one. 1996, on July 1st, the Winnipeg Jets officially moved to Arizona. We all knew it was happening. We watched uh, the last uh, series. That's where Nikolai Habibula was awesome. And then some great actors and uh, famous people born on July 1st. Jamie Farr, 1934, of course, from MASH. Uh, Maybe you've seen him at the Mayfield Dinner Theater a few times. 1952, great Canadian Dan Aykroyd from the Blues Brothers, among others. Uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh, Steve Shutt, great hockey player with the Montreal Canadiens in 1952. Princess Diana, I did not know that. Born in 1961 on July 1st. Pamela Anderson, great actress uh, or actor from Canada. And Liv Tyler uh, is an American actress born in 1977. So for me... That's what's cool this week. All the great things that took place in the history of Canada Day. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. And we wrap up today with the obscenely rich list. This is just simply things I would do if I was obscenely rich and Listen, for me, obscenely rich would be like winning the $60 million. I think that, that would make me obscenely rich and I could do a bunch of stuff. Well, not all of it, but I do as much as I can. And then maybe you get into like the $100 million. Who knows? You're talking like I'm going to build my own spaceship and uh, travel to Mars. I don't know. But for me, the obscenely rich list today, this is based off trips that my dad and mom and I would take uh, as a kid. And um, we would play this game about, uh, you know, what would you do if you won the lottery? And we would have all these great ideas. I would get so into this game and start thinking about stuff and talking about stuff. And I would go to that place where I was going to be a cowboy astronaut or something. And then I would kind of come out of it and be like, oh, I'm still in the Hyundai Pony driving to Swan River. But I had a good active uh, memory and it's helping it out on the podcast now. So my, my item on the obscenely rich list today is that, and, and this ties in with Canada Day, because I would explore our country of Canada a lot more. I have been to almost every province and only one territory in Canada. I haven't been to Newfoundland and Labrador 
and uh, I think that's the only province that I'm missing right now, and uh, the uh, uh, two territories. So, but I would go and I would do one province a month per year road trips. Obviously, you're going to do uh, 13 ones because we have uh, the three territories and the 10 provinces. So for a 13-month stretch, um, I guess over 13 years, I would do it. Because I wouldn't be doing it back-to-back in one whole year. That's too much traveling. But I would pick, and maybe you do it like twice a year. Uh, but I would pick one province, and I would spend an entire month exploring that province. And I would start with Manitoba, where I'm from, because there is so much about Manitoba I haven't explored. And then you think you get into BC and Saskatchewan, even some northern Saskatchewan where it's really beautiful. And of course, the interior of uh, BC and the Okanagan area and uh, Niagara Falls and lots in Ontario. Of course, I, I would explore, like even PEI. Like I, I've driven the entire island of PEI in a day. I would still want to explore it for a month and see the different things. They're all, be, and, you know, especially if you go at a certain time with maybe some festivals. So that's what I would do if I was uh, obscenely rich. I would do one province. Uh, for an entire month, and I would do that maybe twice a year. Every six months I would do it or something like that and just travel around and learn and be able to say, I know a heck of a lot about my own country. And, and hey, if you're still obscenely rich after doing all that travel, maybe expand and do all 50 states and hit Europe and whatever. But uh, my obscenely rich list is one province per month, road trips exploring Canada. Thank you so much for listening to this uh, special Canada Day edition of Sports and More. I hope you have a wonderful Canada Day and a great week. And if you're listening to us from the uh, south of the 49th, have a great July 4th. I'd really like to thank Krista Monson, uh, a great career spanning Cirque du Soleil and beyond. She's from St. Albert, a great Canadian on the international stage. She joined me for a fun conversation. And of course, Jamie Thomas. From Jets TV joins us me joins me for fantasy fun time every week. Have yourself an awesome week. We'll talk to you again next Monday. And as I say goodbye, enjoy the sweet sounds of Sweet Bejesus, the official band of Sports and More. This is Cameron. Playtime is over. Stopped when his dad yelled, Shut up. Cameron used to drive fast, but he cut the gas when his girlfriend yelled, Slow down.